Wednesday at 8 p.m. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening to Music Biz 101 and more. Hey! Welcome to Music Biz 101 and more, your free advice. Music Business Radio Show and Podcast. Find us every Wednesday at Brave New Radio, 88.7 FM on the campus of William Patterson University in scenic Wayne, New Jersey, or on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher Radio as a podcast. I am your co-host, Professor David Kirk Philp, along with your other co-host, Dr. Esteban. Marconi. We are alive and pre-recording what you're listening to from Nashville, Tennessee at the Music Biz 2016. What weather we've been having. What weather we've been having, which we can't tell. We're in no a basement. No idea. No idea. But... We are very thankful to the Music Biz folks That's true. for giving us this space in the Nashville Convention Center. It's the Music Biz 2016 Convention. Mm-hmm. El Presidente James Donio gave us some tremendous space. We've been doing lots of podcasting from the space, sir. So yes, thank, big have. thanks to them. Yes, we have. Big thanks to them. Thanks to Mia, the Music and, Edu- uh, Music and Entertainment Industry Educators Association. They gave us a grant which tell people like Paris, who is our interviewer for this episode, uh, helped him get here. And also big thanks to the folks at Van Dyne Bruno Inc. and White Hat Management, Dr. Marconi. Yes. Did you know? I wish I had. When you were a, a traveling musician. Yes. With artists like Charlie Puth, Dave Matthews, Sharon Jones, the Dap Kings and Kiss, there's only one place to go for your bands, business management, Marconi, and Jam Factory, Hall of Famer. That's right. Dr. Stephen Marconi. Who is Charlie Puth? I don't know who he is. Charlie Puth, he's just a fella. Oh, okay. Just a fella. Um, Go to vb-cpa.com when it's best for you to get some business management. Too late. Too late for you, but not too late for our listeners. And not too late for our next donor. No, no, our next donor. It's not too late to ever go to Christine Vey. Mm -hmm. Big thanks to her. She's a wealth manager for the president of Vey Wealth Management. Christine has helped many of our professionals at William Patterson manage their investments and plan out for their retirement. Mm -hmm. If you're looking for some guidance on how to plan for your retirement, or if you have questions on anything from investments and portfolio management to insurance and retirement planning, please, please give Christine a call at 732-455-1510. That's it. You've got it. Yes. You've got it. I know. 1510. Email her also, Christine, at veywealth.com for advisement. And, of course, Christine always says, Oi, Vey. <laughs> but she has a, a very special tagline. Yes, she does. Your money, your wealth, our values. Our values. And our values bring us to this interview. So thank you, Christine Oive. Thank you, Aaron Van Dyne. And here we go. Brandon Martinez. We are ready to go. We just Brandon Martinez. Brandon Martinez. Woo! I am the music. All right. So Paris, take it away. Okay. So on the IND Music website, it states that they help monetize their content without sacrificing creative control. What are some ways IND Music helps keep creative control in their content um, when being Monetized. One of the goals that we had when we started, uh, you know, we looked at sort of the broad ecosystem on YouTube. We would just look at YouTube channels, and this is five, six years ago, so you could really quickly tell a lot of these pages either looked like total garbage or they were branded with Vivo, 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 Vivo. Mm-hmm. Um, and we realized that that's, that's just not the way of the world. You know, when you 
Um, go to a page, you should be able to see that it's the official artist, um, that it's their content, it's their voice. Um, so we don't, uh, you know, we certainly give guidelines of, hey, this is what works, or use this format. Um, but we're not saying, it, we're not dictating what it has to, has to look like. We're not adding our logo on top of anything. Um, additionally, I think that there's a, a problem whenever you'd go to watch a Bevo video that you're, you know, you're watching maybe your favorite nitty band and then you're taken to a Britney Spears video or you're taken to even a YouTube video and maybe you're watching hip hop and like there was no control over um, how your content was managed or even what the user experience was like for your fans. Um, so by using um, backend policies, we're able to kind of control that a little bit more. Um, using keywords and SEO, uh, which helps to manage, I think, the flow of videos. You certainly can't control it, uh, but it helps to manage it, I think, a little bit better for a better user experience. Ideally, we want for um, every one video on your content to be two to three more views on additional content of yours. So whether it's somebody who comes and says, um, oh man, new video by my favorite band, um, oh, I love these other songs too. Or they come for their favorite song that they've always loved, and like, oh, I didn't know there was all this new music to listen to. So we want to make sure that, that your fans are able to interact with your content um, in the way that you would like them to. Mm -hmm. Why don't we take one step back, yeah. and, and uh, Brandon, just give your you know, 20 second, 15 second bio of who you are and, and what IND Music is. Sure, absolutely. So uh, I actually started on the talent agency side. Um, I was a digital agent at a company called Abrams Artist Agency, top 10 talent agency in LA and New York, and I ran digital for both offices. Um, I was actually working more with writers, directors, producers, um, actors, uh, but I did a lot of the early uh, MCN, multi-channel network deals, uh, which, are, which is what we are. Um, so this was full screen, maker studios, style hall, dance on, all these like integrated uh, or verticalized networks basically. Um, and uh, saw, I was, uh, saw that there was an opportunity for um, music in the same way that these other sort of verticalized networks were popping up. Mm -hmm. um, and again, that's when we looked at these channels, saw that there was obviously an opportunity there. Um, we started the company, um, our, probably our biggest success uh, was Harlem Shake uh, from a few years ago. Mm -hmm. We were the company behind the scenes uh, making sure that the artist and label got paid for all of those videos. As there wasn't one centralized video, it's a lot of user generated content as well. Mm -hmm. um, last summer we also were behind 300 Entertainment's uh, Trap Queen for Fetty Wap. Um, so we've had a lot of uh, experience in this uh, user generated content, you know, digital sort of space. Um, and most recently, in uh, February of this year, uh, we were just acquired by Live Nation. So we are now uh, Live Nation TV Network, doing everything we were doing before for independent artists and labels, but with a lot more firepower. And you supplement what Content ID can't do? Yeah, basically. absolutely. Actually, you know, it, it's and really Can you explain Content ID? Sure, so. absolutely. So. There is actually, I think, a much bigger problem with metadata. I think that there's a big conversation going on right now around metadata, revenue streams, and transparency, and we sort of sit right in between all of that. So the biggest problem is actually bad, bad I'll just say bad <laughs> metadata. Um, and uh, whether it's the, the labels or the distributors, but somebody is messing something up. So whether it's, you know, we've heard the classic case of Jay-Z. J-space-Z, J-hyphen-Z, J-Z is one word, J-A-Y-Z-E-E, -E, all mm -hmm. kinds of crazy things. Mm -hmm. um, and that, when that goes into the system, that's how all of the content is identified. More, more importantly, when it reports back, it's gonna be separated, all that. So if you're only looking for J-hyphen-Z, you could be missing all this other information that's being picked up. Or 
more often and sadly what happens is information is just not filled in uh, album isn't filled in song title isn't filled in there's a lot of blank information and blank assets and you don't know how to pay people from there that's just at a sound recording level then you go to the publishing level and it's even more of a problem um, so metadata is actually I think what is most important that all translates then to again the transparency because if you are an artist or a label and you're just getting a statement from your distributor that says YouTube and the amount of revenue that you're getting that's way off because what, the way that we report is we report every single video that's on your channel that we're claiming um, all of the views that are coming from there all of the revenue that's coming from there you see everything from a gross level um, and then on the user generated side which is where the content ID part comes in um, it's every single video that we've claimed back to your asset you can see all of that information we've actually now even imported that into our own database um, into a dashboard that we have for our partners um, so they can see uh, most you know most importantly revenue immediately what are they owed uh, but then they can go in and look at how does this compare to the past couple of months uh, what are the top videos on my channel even going into a video by video breakdown and seeing how much money was made on this video how much mm -hmm. video money was made on that video publishing uh, sound recording it's all broken out for them um, because that's what's most important so I think more to your question Definitely. We go in, uh, our summer interns just started this week. One of our favorite things for them to do is as they're learning about who our partners are, is go in and claim all the content that may have been missed by Content ID. Again, when your metadata is done properly, you're not missing a lot. Um, but certainly there's some uh, live content that slips through, you know, people recording on their cell phones and things like that, um, which we definitely are doing searches to make sure that we're uh, completing all of that. We pride ourselves in not having holes in our catalog and so that's by doing a combination of strict asset management uh, and then supplemental uh, searches and SEO and that kind of thing to make sure we're getting everything. Okay, great. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about how uh, Content ID uh, query technology works? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So we've kind of covered it a little bit. So essentially there are three ways of ingestion on YouTube. There are your music videos on your channel. So for our partners, again, it goes back to your control question. They're the ones actually uploading the content, tagging everything, putting it up there. Again, we're, we're there to help them uh, manage it, make sure that they're using all of the features that they can. Then there's Content ID, uh, which is for the user-generated side. It's a fingerprinting system. Um, so our partners for us, uh, through our dashboard, are uploading sound recordings. Could be MP3s or WAV files. Um, and all of the metadata being filled out from there. Um, so again, it's everything from uh, song name, artist name, uh, album title, um, uh, even like track length, genre, all of this information that they, is associated with the track. Um, we take that, uh, sometimes we do it in bulk by album, sometimes even just single releases, and then we upload it into YouTube's system. And then from there, it automatically starts fingerprinting all of the videos. So it starts with what is most immediately, what's most recently been updated, um, as well as the most popular videos to make sure that there's no infringement there. And then they start a long process of going through all the old videos as well to make sure that there's no past infringement. Um, and then the third one that I mentioned is, is newer, but it's uh, for uh, YouTube Music Key or YouTube Red, their new subscription service. So that's actually a separate ingestion process because it has a little bit more metadata, um, essentially the uh, album artwork and, and higher quality audio. Um, so that it's being ingested into their system for the subscription service, basically. Mm. Um, so we're handling the back two, the more complicated ones, while our partners do their videos. But again, all of these things are all linked uh, together, basically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. And Live Nation took an interest in you guys. Why? Couple of reasons. Uh, so number one, uh, we're an artist-forward company. As I mentioned the transparency and the revenue, trying to get as much of that revenue in the hands of our partners as we can. Mm -hmm. um, kind of cutting out a lot of the middlemen that don't mm -hmm. do a good job at this. Right. Um, and Live Nation is an artist-forward company, you know, first and foremost. Sure. Um, so there are opportunities of scale. We're now gonna be able to take their sales team and mm -hmm. sell against this content. So increasing the revenue that we're bringing in for our partners, uh, which I think is gonna greatly contribute to the conversation that's happening mm -hmm. around uh, artist revenue specific to YouTube, but overall streaming services. Right. Um, and then there's an expertise to the platform. Mm -hmm. um, there aren't a lot of people that do what we do, and we're hands down the best mm -hmm. at it. Um, so we're now able to come in, we've already been helping to um, organize and optimize better uh, the channels that they manage, so everything from Ticketmaster, House of Blues, Live Nation's channel, Live Nation TV, Bonnaroo, um, all the C3 Presents stuff, Insomniac, I mean it's just a wealth of content. Yeah. And then you yeah. partner that with you know unique collaborations of our artists are already performing at their festivals. So there's a now an opportunity to create some unique branded content, mm -hmm. put some more money in the hands of our partners, create a new revenue stream for uh, the venues and festivals, um, and create some unique content that uh, you know fans actually want to see. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So it's really it's a great marriage, I think, of our expertise on the platform, um, their just overall strength in the industry and opportunities that they can bring to us mm -hmm. and what we can do for them. Yeah, yeah. Um, can you describe what uh, Global Rights is and how it's implemented? Yeah, absolutely. So global rights, you know, I think that, uh, you know, there's a big conversation around like neighboring rights right now. Essentially, um, you know, in other territories, you need um, other similar companies, uh, you know, like the, the uh, French equivalent of ASCAP or something like that to collect certain rights for you. Um, because YouTube and even SoundCloud are global platforms, not how it is. So we can actually claim everything in every territory on behalf of our partners. So that's actually, again, going back to the control thing, we're certainly not going to step on the toes of our partners. If one of our artists signs an awesome publishing deal, whether it's um, you know Warner Chapel or Sony ATV or something like that, but it's only for North America, um, great. That's cool. There's probably a lot of other things, sync and things like that, that they can do for you that we are not going to. Um, but we can make sure that we are collecting all of those rights on YouTube. So again, ideally, we're going to carve out all of YouTube. Um, but even if they decide to, you know, they have to do North America with them, we can still claim all the rest of the territories with something like 250 other additional territories. Um, same thing goes for a label deal. Maybe um, one of our bands uh, is signed to uh, an indie in North America, not signed the rest of the world, or, or vice versa even. We have a lot of um, foreign artists as well. Maybe they're signed to an Australian label, don't have rights represented in uh, in the US so we can actually claim all those rights. So it's it's now, I think the dynamic has just vastly changed. Um, again, you need experts on the platform who know what they're doing. It's not just specific to your territory anymore. It's, it's you know, your song can blow up all over the world. That was one of the cool things with Harlem Shake is we really got to see um, it kind of start in the US and then uh, pick up around the world. So like in uh, China, it was known as the Dance of the Idiots. Um, <laughs> In Egypt, it's actually a protest song. Um, uh, basically, there was a, an issue with um, indecency laws, and people were protesting those. And so they uh, 
started playing Harlem Shake and then did the thing where they stripped off all their clothes down to their underwear, people were arrested for it. Um, so like, you know, it's kind of hilarious, but Bauer, who did Harlem Shake, is kind of like their Bob Dylan, basically. Um, so it's, it's really cool to just see how uh, the rest of the world, you know, um, takes in your music and, and there really is an opportunity for uh, global stardom these days. You brought up <clears throat> the term neighboring rights, which is the new one of the new buzzwords going out. I don't know if you saw on a music business I did. I did. last week. I read this whole article. I read it three times about neighboring rights. Uh -huh. Is that confusing. a new term for performance no, rights? No, neighboring or, rights is, is something that's been around for a very, very long time. It's actually right. a problem because um, what often happens is that you know again you're paying a percentage to you know your your um, your PRO and so right. um, or they're collecting it right so ASCAP will collect eleven percent or fifteen percent whatever right exactly and then pay the rest to publisher directly songwriter directly, but what right? may happen is that the uh, uh, the company that's in Japan or whatever may also be taking a percentage so again mm -hmm. it's one of those problems of uh, global revenue being whittled down, whittled down, whittled down until it actually makes its way back. The problem, I think, with, with neighboring rights uh, in the past is that if you didn't have that deal, you weren't getting any of that revenue. So maybe your song did blow up in some foreign territory, but nobody was there to collect it for you. I wasn't you. signed to a performance rights organization in exactly. Japan or exactly. Germany. Or, or, or even your PRO didn't have that deal or something like mm -hmm. that. So it was almost the deal with the devil that you had to make. Mm -hmm. um, and so, uh, again, I'm not going to claim to be an expert in those other platforms and things mm -hmm. like that and how all of, all of that works. Um, it's sort of, again, one of the uh, reasons why, going back to you know, you know, the opportunity that we saw in the beginning was this is a problem we have a way to fix this. This is one of the reasons why, you know, uh, despite all of the flack that YouTube gets that I love that platform, they really have built a system that works for anyone, um, you know, in the industry uh, to really claim what's theirs. You know, I think that YouTube, I've always said, is um, if you know how to look for it, is the only platform in the world where you can see who thinks they own what in the music industry. Nowhere else does that mm -hmm. exist. Um, so, you know, we're constantly dealing with, um, you know, conflicts and disputes and things where you know we may have had an asset for years and suddenly maybe there's it used to be more of a problem back in the day but maybe a compilation that comes out or a soundtrack that comes out and so that company has uploaded that album and they only own the rights to you know the the physical copy basically or or uh, if somebody buys that version on iTunes they don't actually own the underlying sound recording rights for the user generated content on YouTube so again, it's one of these issues um, where it's just it's unique to the platform um, that YouTube recognized and has created this opportunity to resolve it. A lot of people just don't want to do the dirty work to figure out how it actually works. And YouTube used to, and I, tell me if they changed it, it used to be if you claimed ownership of a track, they would start paying you upon your claim, but <laughs> and, and it wouldn't go back. So let's say Harlem Shake mm -hmm. had already been down, you know, streamed. Right. 25 million times right. at 25 million in one you claim it and they say yes you are the you are the owner of that the first 25 million wouldn't go to anybody uh, a little bit yeah so it, it just depends on it's, it's a complicated answer as mm -hmm. many things are in the music industry but essentially if you think about it the most basic way if there were no ads on it no money was made so if nobody claimed it mm -hmm. um, then no money was that there was no ads on it no money was actually made now, YouTube does make a great effort if something is going viral and it is independent to identify who the proper rights holders are. Um, 
And I think these days most people are getting in there and trying to claim things. You know, we definitely try and get releases four to six months in advance if we can. Mm. Oftentimes it's the week of, but you know, four right. to six months is ideal. Um, but I, I think the greater problem, which I think we will probably be seeing more in the future, is um, those that have claimed rights to things that they didn't own, and oftentimes it's the major labels, it's the major distributors um, who got in there and just, again, whether it's a compilation or a soundtrack or something like that, before the actual rights holder got in there, and they've been claiming that revenue for years. Um, and I doubt that they were black boxing it, like putting it aside as they should have. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, we've had that issue come up a couple of times. Um, uh, maybe even an, an old label was still claiming something they didn't have the right to, and we worked to resolve it. Um, and I think it's, it's pretty amicable for the most part. But when you start seeing these things in, in bigger chunks, it might become more of a problem. What about Facebook and Facebook Live? Facebook, uh, even even Amazon are uh, great, unique opportunities as well. I mean, even Instagram and Snapchat and, and all of these other platforms, if there's user-generated content you need, and you're advertising on that platform, you need some, so, some form of uh, you know, music identification, asset identification, and to, play, to pay the performer, the artist, the publisher, whoever it is, their equal share. You know, they should all be getting paid. If if you, I as a fan, I love Snapchat for example. I love going to shows and filming a little clip. And even if it's six seconds, ten seconds, whatever it is, Snapchat or the platform, whoever it is, is making money on that in some way. Mm -hmm. The artist needs to get some of it's that. It's adding value to the platform itself. Exactly. Snapchat's mm -hmm. making it worth fifteen million instead of fourteen billion. Exactly. It's, it's it's encouraging users to go mm -hmm. on the platform and want to share what it is that they're doing. Um, I could tell you many stories about how I love Snapchat, but I mean it's... Uh, but yeah, but what you're yeah. saying, so but you, you hold up your phone and you catch six seconds, 10 seconds of a performance, you snap it out there. Absolutely. There should be a performance right connected to that. A Absolutely. publisher or songwriter should get paid for that Definitely. live performance. And, and it's, I guess it's a little more unique because it is specifically live, so you know, that live version of that sound recording. Every, every time you play a song live, you're essentially creating a new sound recording, a new master um, for that song. So who actually claims that? How do you get that revenue? Totally complicated world. Yeah. Um, uh, and it's not gonna get any easier. And it's not it's gonna get any harder. easier. It's just, I mean, you start to incorporate the VR, and, and already there's an issue of, you know, I think the uh, live performances where you where you do uh, what we call live live now, of the, um, say you're watching uh, uh, Bonnaroo or ACL live or something like that. And, uh, and, then, and then what happens to VOD? I mean, that's a big question that I'm asking um, our festivals and venues now of like, great, you've recorded this, you did a really cool deal with uh, Red Bull or uh, YouTube or whoever it is, that content should live on forever. I mean, think of the, again, to a user experience when you're going to Governor's Ball for the first time, um, or, or maybe you are, you live uh, in Nashville, but your friends are all in New York and you wanna go and visit them. You're like, I don't really know, I've heard it's a lot of hipster kids and, and do I really wanna go? you look at these videos and you can see what the experience is like, oh, that's really cool. Uh, there's art and there's food and look at all the diverse performances. You know, there should be an opportunity for people to continue to interact with that. Or think of the, the Prince example, right? The uh, Coachella performance from a few years ago, you know, Prince was notorious for keeping all of his content on, offline 
and I love him as an artist, but he was wrong. Like there was mm -hmm. another because he did, wasn't working with the right people. The right people didn't explain it to him properly. How he could monetize or even block the content he didn't want up instead of just taking it down and striking, which is bad for your fans. It's not a great user experience. So, and I think now, but you know, luckily whoever's in charge now has been letting some of that content slip through and being able to experience like he killed that Coachella set um, and that was where he did uh, Radiohead Live and all of that kind of stuff like such a unique opportunity that you know I mean I'm, I'm a huge vinyl collector and I go back and I listen to I have my parents old vinyl collection to go back and experience that I mean think of the generations to come who are going to want to have that same experience um, or even again incorporate VR and literally being there at the show, um, I don't know. There, there's just so many unique opportunities, and to your point, again, it's just going to get only more complex from there. Are they doing anything with Periscope? Uh, who Live Nation or? Well, I mean that the rights. Uh, yeah, no, no one, uh, to my knowledge, other than YouTube, now SoundCloud, uh, have specific platforms. There's things. Vimeo has a thing that they use a company mm -hmm. for. Um, Facebook doesn't have something. I thought they were making something. They they do. They have a rights thing. Their rights thing was more around uh, the videos that were being freebooted, which means that people were downloading them, whether it was from their Facebook pages, from mm -hmm. the YouTube pages, and re-uploading them. Uh -huh. um, so that was more of the problem that was happening there. Um, but they they are building in an audio component for them. We've been talking to them as Indie Music for a while. Now it's Live Nation trying to figure that out. And I think Amazon again is is they're creating their own YouTube competitor, something similar will happen mm -hmm. there as well. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it's it's exciting times. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The Wild West. It really, especially <laughs> with this, the more you talk about it. Uh, wild West. We had Serona Elton, who's uh, a consultant with Sony and Warner, okay. and she's very much into the metadata and okay. all that, and we were talking about how it's complex all this rights management is, Absolutely. especially with metadata. And you yep. mentioned interns earlier. And I'm sure a lot of the problems we have with metadata is when labels, for example, five, six, ten years ago, didn't care so much a summer mm -hmm. project, here, enter all this stuff. Right, And right. they're typing in Jay-Z five different ways. Right. Or they weren't told this or is... Or five different kids typing it in five yeah, different yeah, ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's probably... I mean, we. that's why I love, uh, you know, actually half my company, our group is uh, seven total, and uh, three of them actually interned for me before I hired them because they were right out of school. Um, I taught them everything that they really know about the industry. I taught them the way that I like things done. Um, why am I then going to go hire somebody who's been in the industry doing it wrong for <laughs> five, right. ten years right. when I can start with somebody who's brand new, um, is appreciative of the opportunity, and knows more than everybody at the head of digital at some major right. label, you mm -hmm. know? Um, and yep. I think that they've gone on. We have uh, some of our former interns have gone on to work for Downtown Publishing and Warner Music, and so you know, I'm happy that at least it's being done properly. That's really all I want done is that it. That and where are you guys based? Uh, we're in New York, so we're we're right in Times Square. We're in Live Nation's right. office. Yeah, in your car. <laughs> yeah, well, we're 20 miles outside of New York. Oh, great, cool. Uh, William Patterson University in, in New Jersey. Great. So awesome. we have always intern. We have 20 students with us now. Absolutely. We always have interns that are, and we have an MBA now. Oh wow! So they get the music. Yes, in music, music, music oh, business. Yeah, so they've Fantastic. gotten um, the analytics stuff and so on with the, you know, graduate courses rather they than under, the they understand spreadsheets. That's really the yeah, important part. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. We That's need great. to wrap up uh, comparison. May Paris ask you one sure, final absolutely. question. Uh, uh, what are some of the day-to-day -day, uh, tasks as a CEO of IMD Music? 
Oh man. Uh, well, as a startup, uh, we I did everything. Um, I I I like talking, as you can tell. Um, so I like panels, and and I think again, um, this is not being talked about in the right way enough. Um, so I like to get out and sort of spread the gospel of this is how you do it. Um, it's really not rocket science. We just need more people managing metadata properly, um, asset management, um, and and I think that the revenue streams that can be coming from YouTube can be uh, vastly increased. You know, I've always said, I said it last year in Music Biz, um, if you tell me you're not making enough money on YouTube, I can look into, the, into your back end and see 95% of the time there are problems with your rights on YouTube. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, I think that's, that's a big part of it, is just talking to people is probably my biggest part of the job. But ultimately overseeing uh, everything that, that the company is doing. Um, you know, at one point it was just my business partner, John Baltz, and I in the company. Um, so whenever anybody says that they can't do something or that uh, they don't know how to do something, um, they're wrong. I've done it. I did everything. I've done everything in the company uh, from outreach to our artists to managing metadata in the back end, entering metadata. I've done everything along with my business partner. Um, so we've really created this from the ground up in, in the way that we think it should be done. Um, nowadays, though, at Live Nation, um, as we begin to expand, it's a lot more of um, same thing, spreading the gospel, but internally, making sure that everybody uh, understands so that they can bring us new opportunities, which has been great on like the branded content side. They brought us opportunities from Puma to Heineken and Bud Light and AccuView and Honda and all kinds of really cool things that we never would have been able to do on our own. So it's also then interpreting their goals and what they need back to what we can actually do and facilitate how we can get it to them. Um, and, uh, and, and you know, we definitely want to expand the network as well. So now, even while we're here, we're talking to a bunch of new labels and managers, uh, some internal that Live Nation owns, uh, some uh, people that we've met in the industry or just cold outreach. Hey, this is what we do. Um, we can help you out, basically. Wow. Um, so Well, you've uh, helped us out today, Brandon. <laughs> so let's give Brandon a big thanks. This is great having you on Music Biz 101 and more. We cool. want to appreciate you coming down and yeah. helping us here in Absolutely. Thanks Nashville, for having Tennessee. Me. No, thank you for having us. Stop <laughs> it, Brandon. Don't be so kind to us. So we need to close it out. So we want to thank Paris. I'm going to butcher your last name, Nuttall. Nuttall. Hey, that was the closest uh, <laughs> so far. I was saying Nuttall and Nutella. I was saying everything <laughs> you, awful. You didn't say Nutella yet. No, <laughs> yeah, no I didn't. It was really wrong. So Nuttall. You said noodle yesterday. Yeah, I did because you used your noodle getting uh, Brandon here. So thank you, Paris, for being here. Really appreciate it, Paris. That's good. I want to thank Brandon Martinez, IND Music, now owned by Live Nation. We want to thank Dr. Esteban Marconi for yes, being here. Yes, sir. It was and great to have you. Of course, my co-host. Professor David Kirkfield. I'm the Professor David Kirkfield. I want to thank you for being here and listening. And instead of saying hello to you at this point, we are going to say adios! Yeah.